the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And his good friend Jacob right here in the studio together and ready for another program, another 90 minutes in the scriptures talking about uh, tonight, in particular, the book of Matthew. We have um, we, we read through the entire Bible in case you've not heard of the Bible line before Monday through Friday. We read through the entire Bible every year a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weeknight, Monday through Friday. And we make our way all the way through the Bible every year. Now, we're just now at this time of the year. We, we usually begin our reading year in terms of like starting at Genesis in November because uh, that allows us to get started in the book of Genesis, creation, and, and so on, moving on to the flood and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and then just in time for Christmas, we move over into the New Testament and pick up at the Gospel of Matthew, and that's what we have, are, have been reading this last week. We read all, all of our reading, in fact, came from the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10 through 26, so we'll be commenting on all that tonight and asking some questions. We've got a Good list of questions for you to answer and to think about, and we'd love to have you call in and be a part of the program. Our phone number is 210 is the area code, 340-9585, 340-9585. And um, 
I can say we're picking up at chapter 10 of the, of the Gospel of Matthew and moving on through chapter 26. We're not quite yet to the crucifixion. We've uh, gotten down to um, toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministries, uh, ministry before the time of his arrest uh, in the uh, Garden the Gethsemane. There in, uh, I guess it's chapter 26, 27 that we get into that. So there we are. Uh, Jacob, you've been ill this week. I heard he just been talking about it. He's uh, had just a little cough and all and gotten through it. Looking great, feeling feeling better oh, now. Uh, so we're ready to go and get into. Oh, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you, everybody. <laughs> I thought that applause sounded just a little bit strange. <laughs> he brought his own applause tonight. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, then also we read Psalms, one hundred forty-two, to one hundred. Forty-five. So we uh, we could come into some of the psalms that we read. We read through the psalms and the proverbs each weeknight as well. Uh, it's a segment called the Wisdom and Worship segment, and then we move into our narrative reading a little longer usually. Uh, like I said, somewhere maybe around fifteen, sixteen minutes. And uh, like I said, we I say again, we we read through the entire Bible every year. Um, well, let me ask first. Just how kind kind of thing? Were you like sick all week, or did you did you get out and do anything? Where oh, I've been sick. Okay, so you just had fevers and chills. You just hunkered down and got better. Well, I'm glad to hear you did that. Well, let's um, um, move into some of this. I, I know you have got some questions circled. I'm certain of it. During the life of. Uh, the the ministry of Jesus that is outlined for us by this man named Matthew. His real name uh, it, does it mean like Matthew was a Levite? I mean his name yeah, was I, be- I believe called was, Levi. Yeah. Okay, um, he is a tax collector and so on. Uh, and then uh, comes to follow his challenge and invited to follow Jesus, and he does. He becomes one of the twelve. I guess he leaves his tax table at that point. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. And uh, well, why did? You, why do you think they disliked the tax collectors? Now, I'm sure there's a joke there, Jews, taxes, that kind of stuff. But other than the obvious <laughs> joke, uh, why? Why would they dislike tax collectors? Well, they were they were working for the enemy in a sense, and oh. the Romans were uh, uh, um, controlling uh, the their nation, their their people. You know, one of the things that I, I've noticed and I've been telling people lately uh, more in terms of teaching is that one of the things that I have gotten just from uh, hearing you and, and that sense of history that you bring to our analysis as we read the scriptures together is that I think most of us as uh, Gentile believers here in this country, at least, uh, we really truly don't, we we don't have a real sense of the the level of corruption, the level of uh, uh, compromise that was present in uh, in Jerusalem and Israel in the time of Jesus. I, I think we kind of underestimate. We know that the Romans are there, and we know, yeah, they're an occupying power and so on. But I don't think we have a good sense of the of how thoroughly, how completely 
they were in control of the mechanisms of of, of power of so government. When you and say so on. they, who are you the Romans, the, the Romans, Romans. Yeah. and I, yeah. uh, and the, I understand that they well the priesthood. Well, was they to actually, a great degree you know, one of your questions actually, <clears throat> pardon me, one of your questions tonight actually addresses that issue. Uh, it's your uh, your question twenty nine. Uh-huh. Um, now I, it is true that uh, I, uh, while uh, con- contrary to our lady caller last week, I was very supportive of Christians and the New Testament, and I think it's great for Christians and New Gentiles to have it. Uh, however, I must say that, uh, yeah, actually Herod was not Jewish. Herod is from Esau. Our understanding is that he was half. Well, is that, I, I don't know. Prob- maybe from, don't know maybe from the knee down. I don't know. But he, the truth is he was, uh, he, you might say he was a false convert. Uh-huh. In fact, that probably would be addressed in your question about the let the weeds grow with uh-huh, the, uh-huh. the thing. But, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, so... And so Herod was appointed. Now, it was one thing we know. He's not, he's not Jewish. We also know he's not in the lineage of David. Uh-huh. So how did he get to be in charge? Well, the Romans, the conquering force, appointed him. Then he, they, and through Pontius Pilate, they fired all the priests. That's why John the Baptist is out at the Jordan River. That's why Jesus goes to him and not to the guys up there. Because right. uh, Ananias, Caiaphas, they're not even from the tribe of Levite. But they they got great jobs, you know. They applied mm-hmm. and got the job, and uh, but in, in a lot of these positions were for sale, right? Not only the Herod, priesthood sure. and the Levites, but also go. the Sanhedrin. Sure. Yeah, and that relates to the tax quest, uh, tax collector question. Uh, these guys would have to go out and levy taxes and uh, get the tax money in. They take a little bit for themselves. The guys appointed took a little bit for themselves, and the majority would go back to Rome, and the majority was going back to support Roman gods and Roman temples, but that's how they were ta- taxing them, is by taxing religion, and so they'd take that and give it to Rome. So it was like, ta- it'd be like stealing from the church. So if some guy, if somebody was stealing from the Baptist church, perhaps where you go, you, you all would probably resent that. Well, the, the temple tax and yeah. the m- most of the taxation in the in the Jewish arrangement mm-hmm. in the Jewish system w- was through the temple anyway, wasn't it? Wouldn't that? Isn't that basically the way they? It was tithing, yes, tith- tithing or offerings. Sure, there, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't mandatory. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that famous story that Jesus tells in Matthew about if you going to go make your offering and uh, you find your brother has something against you, leave your offering at the altar, mm-hmm. pay the tax mm-hmm. because uh, that's how they were taxing. Mm-hmm. Suppose that we lived back in that time uh-huh. and suppose that we could do an offering at our house, which we could. There are certain, there's only a few of them that's actually offered at the temple. The rest are, we can do an offering and a meal and a barbecue at our house. Uh-huh. Now suppose I'm going to offer one of those. And suppose the tax collector comes by and says, hey, you guys are doing a religious service here. That'll be $2.50 per person. And so if I told you in a restaurant, well, I saw you say a prayer over your uh, BLT, <laughs> that uh, I would like, I'd like $2 for that, mm-hmm. please. You would resent that. So that's why he says, but he says, you know, these guys are so oppressive. They're going to do bad stuff to you, so pay the tax. Then go ahead on with your altar. Mm-hmm. So at least keep you out of trouble. 
So, yeah, so they were taxing. That's the way they were taxing. Now, and actually what the Romans were doing in Israel is the, what they did in every country. They, they found some way to always put somebody else in charge. And they did that in Egypt and different places. They, they always knew how to do that. They knew how to administrate a country they had conquered. You ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Mm -hmm. Do you know what that means? Um, all roads. I'm trying to figure out which word that I don't understand. <laughs> uh, well, I've always thought that they built a lot of those they roads. Did. and they Well, this is why. Because Rome. And trade I, routes? Maybe? No. Uh, now, Rome, they were a conquering nation. And they built roads from Rome to each country that they conquered. However, by Roman law, they could not have any of those roads to those two countries connect. The roads all had to go from that country back to Rome, so no two countries could ever have a road to connect them because <laughs> that would foster rebellion. Uh -huh. so, so when all roads lead to Rome, it was so that the Roman army could gallop down that road very quickly to crush rebellions. That's what that's all about. And I've, I've been to Italy, you know, several times and in Europe a few times. And you, they actually show you the road and they uh -huh, tell you all uh -huh. about them. Sure, yeah. The Appian Way. Oh, yeah. And, uh, in fact, I saw Frank Sinatra's house. And right next door is uh, Sophia Loren's house. Oh, Sophia Loren. And, and yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah. They're right, they're right. They Sinatra. actually have big homes on the Appian Way. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, be surprised. I, when I lived in Spain, and, of course, uh, a lot of the time we lived in, in, in Europe and Belgium and so on, we, we got familiar with that. But Spain in particular... There are there are roads there that were it's still sure. the original still road there? that sure. was built by the yeah. Romans uh -huh, uh, that sure. two thousand years ago. I guess they yeah. they did build good roads. Uh, well, <laughs> that was all part of it, you know. So yeah, so so what they did is they actually got um, they actually got pardon me they actually got some of the when they they got rid of the priest. Um, now I want to say, in all fairness, nobody has to agree with me, and I, I probably do mm -hmm. take some of the stories a little differently. Mm -hmm. But I, I tend to be a lot more—I I, think—I tend to be a lot more supportive of Jesus' position on things because he was Jewish and he was standing up for the oppressed. In that case, the Jews. Exactly, and he seemed to get it right uh, most of the time. Well, I, I mean, I, all I, the time, it well, seems like, from what I can I see. I believe that uh, everything I've looked at, I think he got it correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he's a very uh, knowledgeable person. Whether everybody wants to say, for a Christian point of view, that's fine, uh -huh. or a Jewish. But point he of view, knew that Bible. He yeah, knew yes, his he scriptures. Did. He. But I do take the stories a little differently. Uh, like for example, uh, your your question yeah. twenty nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, some of these uh, number twenty nine in the parable of the wedding feast. And this is in chapter twenty two. Mm -hmm. In the parable of the wedding feast, many people refused to come to the feast, but one man who did attend was thrown out. And the question is, why was he thrown out? And if you look at that parable in chapter 22 of Matthew, uh, isn't this the one where the individual... Uh, Jesus told a lot. Of, uh, it seems like he told several parables surrounding the idea of a marriage or marriage. Yes. Feast. Now I know, and I've, it's been explained to me, and and I'm no maybe the world's big enough for more than one explanation. Mm -hmm. But in that, I know it's generally taken that that must be referring to God. However, when I first read that story, mm -hmm. as uh, I mean, I thought, well, how would how would Jesus, if this is Jesus or God, mm -hmm. why would he kill somebody for not having nice clothes? And not, but now I want to give you mm -hmm. what I read the story to mean. It doesn't mean it's correct. Somebody can disagree with me. 
Uh, and if you disagree, you're welcome to call and tell me that you disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> actually, I think the story is because it begins like a comparison story. In Luke says there was a certain man. Uh, Jesus doesn't refer to God as a certain man. He mm-hmm. doesn't refer to himself. Mm-hmm. Now, if you compare both the Roman and the Jewish history, what took place, that story begins to make sense to me. Uh, but like I say, nobody has to agree with me. What happened is, when I first read it, I thought it was referring to uh, to, to uh, Caesar. And then after I read the Roman and the Jewish history, I realized when Pontius Pilate came, he was considered like a prince of the king. And so when I read this this wedding feast, I think, I personally think it's Pontius Pilate. And in chapter 21, you have the Messiah, as the Matthew says Jesus was. He's coming in, and, and then in chapter 22, you have this other person, Pontius Pilate. Now, here's the Jewish and Roman history. Pontius Pilate came to town. He invited all the Levitical priests to come to a big banquet. Uh, there is some dispute whether it was going to be a kosher banquet or not, mm-hmm. but he invited them. They refused. Nobody showed up. Mm-hmm. Well, he was very angry, and so he ordered his soldiers to go out and take a bunch of them, and he killed some, but he did leave some alive so that they could tell everybody how the how things work now. And then he said, go out, on, go out and get anybody I want to appoint or hire and put them in charge of the temple. That's how, according to Jewish and Roman history, Caiaphas, Ananias, that's how they become in charge of the temple because they are not from the tribe of Levite. And we all know the priests are supposed to be. But if he was appointing his own people, then the story begins to make sense. Then to me, when I read that he killed somebody for not having nice clothes that came to his banquet, it makes sense to me. And then I say, ah, now I understand why John the Baptist is down to the Jordan River. Now I understand, because John the Baptist, as we know from the book of Luke, is 100% mm-hmm. Levi. He's a Father real, and mother, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. So Jesus goes down to him. And you know, we know the story uh-huh. that Jesus was going to get baptized. And, uh, and, G- and John says, no, why don't you baptize me? And Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to do all righteousness. Now, the all-righteousness idea is who can do the baptizing? Yeah. Only the Levites. Yeah. So they's going to support it. So when a man was a man or a woman was going to devote themselves to ministry, to uh, being uh, yeah. teaching, so when they launched, when they began their ministry, uh, the instructions, I think, even from Leviticus and so on, they go to the temple for the ceremonial washing and dedication mm-hmm. and uh, by the Levites. Mm-hmm. And that was the appointed, correct way to do that. Yeah. And Jesus then, instead of going to the temple to mm-hmm. these people who were not Levites, who had right. more or less right. bought and paid for their right. position yes. uh, in the temple, mm-hmm. he went to his second cousin, John the Baptist, who is a Levite, who is a godly man. Levi, yes. And he, and that it, maybe that explains why John the Baptist said, uh, John the Baptist kind of hesitated and said, no, you're, Evidently, he knew something of Jesus' character, and, and he says, you, you're holy, you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus has that, that statement fairly well known, no, but, for, but so that all righteousness is fulfilled, you know, I, I need to come to you and submit to your baptism and dedication. Uh, and that really seems to me to make a whole 
lot of sense. I mean, it's, it seems to well, be very... Well, it's not just... It is Jewish history. Like in America, we mm-hmm. have history books. Mm-hmm. That is Jewish history. It's also Roman history. And when you compare those two and they come out about the same, you say, it's well, it's probably yeah. correct. Uh-huh. So we know, we know for sure that the real Levites, many of them were killed. Mm-hmm. Several of them were cast out of the temple. And the idea was, of course, they're supposed to carry the word to everybody. Hey, this guy's not fooling me. Better mind. Mm-hmm. And then he appoints his own people. There you got Caiaphas. So these so-called priests running the temple are not the ones designated by God, but the one designated by Rome. So I actually think that the difference is in chapter 21 of Matthew, you, t- you see Jesus coming, riding a donkey. Mm-hmm. He's offering a different kingdom in the story. Mm-hmm. Rome... Pontius Pilate, the son of the king, because he's kind of like a son of the king, he's offering Rome's king. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have this conflict of two different kingdoms coming to face each other. Now, that, to me, is the story. Oh, it is, yeah. And I think Jesus himself says that. My kingdom is not of this world. I um, have come to build a spiritual kingdom, and my kingship is spiritual. In fact, I was just looking at it in Matthew 22, and it's verse 12. Uh And he said, uh, friend, how come you came here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. 13, and the king said to his servants, bind him, and hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, in a place that uh, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So they threw him out. Mm-hmm. I do not see Jesus throwing a guy out. Maybe I, I've got my impression Jesus is a nice guy. I, I think he's a very messianic kind of guy. I don't think he would throw somebody else because they didn't have nice clothes. Well, my, uh, uh, my understanding of this, at least, uh, I think the general understanding from, uh, from our... <laughs> I keep saying this, no, and no, I don't I mean it bad. No, but. no, and I don't mean to criticize. No. I know what you're going to say, and it, I think it's a fine interpretation. And let's say that it may be correct. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, it, it's possible, and, and I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I mean, I am concerned about getting it right. Uh, but most of the time, I think that the way I've heard that particular uh, parable explained is that in some way it represents, uh, well, the, the idea is uh, whoever this, is it a king that puts out the invitation? Or a, is that, yeah, it's a certain king, he says. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. A story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. There you go. And see, that matches both Roman and Jewish history that when he said to the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, come to this big banquet, they not one of them showed up. Now, that's Roman and Jewish history. I think this is a comparison. My opinion, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And if I'm wrong, I think we can just say this. I was wrong. Yeah. A bomb, right? Yeah, <laughs> I bombed. I bombed. Okay. If, if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, then the yeah. story makes sense. So you got chapter 21, Jesus, a king. Uh, chapter 22, Pilate, mm-hmm. you might say, a mm-hmm. king, son of a king. Mm-hmm. And that's why it says, and as you just pointed out, it actually says in verse 2 of 22, it says, uh, the king here may be compared to a king that gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent out his slaves to call. So he's calling. He's talking about the kingdom so, of heaven. So your interpretation uh, of the parable is yes. 
That's what you're explaining uh, now, that's right? right? Yes. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Tell me. No, do that, it again. that that it's a, it's the comparison between the earthly kingdom of Pontius Pilate that he was taking over the Israel and setting up the rules, getting rid of the real priest, putting in his own priest, which he did. So the king here uh, that is spoken of, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And so the idea here, I, I, I suspect here, it looks like pretty clear, he's trying to explain to them something about the kingdom of heaven and he uses this king as an example, inviting well, look people. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Okay. The king, uh, it says he, he prepares the feast. Evidently, his son is going to be um, wed. And he invites them to the feast. Mm-hmm. And they do not want to come. Uh, so they they ignore it. Uh, and, and even beyond that, uh, I say, they refused to come, so he sent other servants to tell them again, come, the feast is prepared, the the, the, the fatted cattle have been killed, everything's ready, well, come ver- to the ver- Verse 7 says he got angry. But in this case, they not only refused to come, they, they even seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them, some of them. So it was, it was beyond the first wave where they just ignored him and didn't come. Now they've actually... Uh, they killed the messengers and insulted and killed them. Then the king is furious, and he sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Right. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I So the servants brought it. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. Now, is that, if that's at the temple, is that what the Torah, is that what God law said, that anybody can be the priest in the temple? And the answer, of course, is no. Unless... Pontius Pilate is appointing him. Well, uh, uh, I don't see the priests in that. What, what are you? Well, who are he's you saying go out to the, to the street. Uh, therefore, go out to the main highways and, and as everyone. many as you can find there. Invite them to the wedding feast. Uh-huh. And the slaves who went out in the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. Uh-huh. I don't think uh, God's Jesus is going to put evil guys in charge of the temple. And the banquet hall is filled with guests. Uh-huh. And then the king comes in to meet the guests, and he notices a man who was not wearing proper clothing for a wedding. Mm-hmm. I will worship with all of my Our first segment is already over. I can't oh, is that right? We'll come back to this, y'all. We'll come back Are to you this, though, because <laughs> a little bit. You're not? Oh, I've got it Can here. Can you so. hear me? Am I on the air? Sure, you're on the air. I believe, yeah, I, I think you are. Uh, I anyway, so. we'll get take this quick break, folks. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. We're going to take this apart. And I'm going to give the typical, uh, sure. I think, evangelical or Christian kind of view yeah. of this the way, at least one yeah, of the sure. ways I've heard it. might be right. And I also want to tell you that Jesus tells you when the world is coming to an end. Yeah, we'll get to that as well. All right. Don't go away, folks. The Bible Live Quiz Show will be right back. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. God sent his son to be a messenger who speaks our language. Hi, and welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading was written by Amy Boucher-Pie and is titled, The Messenger. I have a message for you. A woman working at the conference I was attending handed me a piece of paper, and I wondered if I should be nervous or excited. But when I read, You Have a Nephew, I knew I could rejoice. Messages can bring good news, bad news, or words that challenge. In the Old Testament, God used his prophets to communicate messages of hope or judgment. But when we look closely, we see that even his words of judgment were intended to lead to repentance, healing, and restoration. Both types of messages appear in Malachi 3 when the Lord promised to send a messenger who would prepare the way for him. John the Baptist announced the coming of the true messenger, Jesus, who Malachi called the messenger of the covenant, who will fulfill God's promises. But according to Malachi, he will act like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap, for he will purify those who believe in his word. The Lord sent his word to cleanse his people because of his loving concern for their well-being. God's message is one of love, hope, and freedom. He sent his son to be a messenger who speaks our language, sometimes with messages of correction, but always those of hope. We can trust his message. To get Our Daily Bread in print or ebook, visit getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, there's a place where all your Christian programs reside. All the best Christian radio stations live there. Find your local Christian station or look for one farther away that plays the program you like. ChristianRadio.com not only links you to the best Christian radio stations in America, like this one, but also podcasts of great, uplifting content designed to grow your faith. Find us now and download the app on either Apple or Android devices. It's the difference maker in your daily walk. ChristianRadio.com Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. The singer Kane Brown combines his country tunes with pop and R&B vibes on his latest album called Experiment. Even as Brown leans into some different sounds, though, the 25-year-old Tennessee native still brings to the table a buffet of the stuff country music typically offers. Songs of love, broken relationships, and good country values. There are some familiar but problematic themes here, too, including easy drinking ways, some profane words, and allusions to steamy desires. But faithfulness in marriage is still the most prevalent theme on the album, as Brown focuses on loving one woman well for the rest of his life. For a full review, visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. 
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. <laughs> it it hey, ends suddenly. Thank hey, you for Soapy, being with us, folks. Yeah. John is trying to tell us. Make sure we give out the phone number. All right, three four zero two ninety five eighty five. That's exactly right. Uh, two ten is the area code. Ah, uh, two ten. Three four zero nine five eight five. If you'd like to weigh in, talk a little bit about. The Gospel of Matthew, talk a little bit about, maybe even talk a little bit about your Christmas and how things went this year and and uh, how you and your family celebrated the birth uh, the, the, the birth of Messiah here this coming, this last Christmas time. So, uh, yeah, give us a call if you'd like anything you'd like to share and talk about all things biblical. We'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. Now, I was just explaining in this passage from um, Matthew chapter 22 the parable of this great feast. There's no doubt that Jesus does, does say very quite often that he came to establish a different kind of kingdom. And uh, Jacob has offered up just kind of that, that Jewish-Hebrew perspective of that story, and it really makes a lot of sense to me. I don't have uh, it, particularly, it, it's God-honoring, Christ-honoring. It's not, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's another way, it's a way of understanding and seeing this what does this story mean? Now, most of us, I think that what we have been taught now as we read the Scriptures, as we read chapter 22, is that it's about the king. It says the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling something about the kingdom of heaven, about God's redemptive plan the, the, to bringing men and women into the relationship with him, to make them right with him. And he talks about a wedding feast. A king is giving a wedding feast for his son. Most of the time, I think we see that as God uh, inviting people to the wedding, his son, the Messiah, Jesus, and the banquet is ready. He sends his servants by the servants. He's talking about the prophets, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, you know, the the prophets and messengers who went out inviting people to come and to make, be, be right with God and uh, to celebrate the coming of the Messiah here uh, is the message. And so... Uh, they refuse. They don't want to acknowledge and recognize uh, his son or the the wedding feast. And so he sends more to talk to them, to invite them. And then, and then it comes down, they they ignore the messengers. Uh, they even um, insult them and kill them. So then the king is furious, and in judgment he's, he sends his army to destroy the murderers and their town, and he says to the servants, don't go you know, to the invited guests, the initial invited guests. Go to the people on, on the hedges and the byways and so on. Invite others, perhaps meaning, uh, perhaps, I'm not sure, but 
maybe um, Gentile people and invite them and they come uh, and they do respond to the feast and they come. Now, then the one thing that I've heard as in conjunction with this particular paragraph is that part of the wedding um, ceremony, part of the wedding tradition was that when the king, uh, when the father sends an invitation to the son's wedding, he sends a uh, a suit of clothing. He sends a new suit of clothing that for that they are to wear to the wedding. And so he goes out to greet these guests that have come, and one of them is not wearing the clothing that he was sent. Instead, uh, I don't know what he might be wearing, uh, if he's dressed up or if he's just wearing his plain old clothes. But somehow he says, why, why is it you're not wearing the clothes that were sent to you to uh, for the wedding to, to wear? And the man had no reply, so he was cast out of the, into darkness, which... Uh, I, I think most of us understand, or the way we're taught at least, is that it's a parable saying that we come to the wedding feast, but we come uh, through the means and the methods and the, and under wearing the clothes. In other words, we come to the wedding feast with the proper clothing that we've been given, not a different, separate way. And I, so the idea, uh, that's the basic idea. So, and, and may I say, that, you, that may be correct. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. Maybe you would know, though, about is that right about the idea of a you know, clothing? I'm going to be honest with you. It could be right. I don't know the answer okay. to that, but you might be okay. right. Um, either way, I'm not sure. Would uh, you the, like to know what the, the actual Greek says? The lesson is possible. Yeah. yeah, good. The actual Greek. Uh, let me turn it right here. Um, the actual Greek, where am I at here? Yikes, yikes, where am I? Okay. The actual Greek on verse 2, and it says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king in the English translations. Mm-hmm. The actual Greek says to a man, comma, a king. Now, over in Luke, it does refer to a, there was a certain man, mm-hmm. the, the comparison story. But, you know, I... but. I could be 100% wrong, and let's face it, the Christians have been reading it, and they've developed their understanding of beliefs for 2,000 sure, years, sure. so who am I to say they're wrong? Well, the one thing that is, I think, that we, we want to find out uh, from any, any point of view is what was Jesus actually, what point was he actually trying to make when he told this story? And uh, to some degree, there is a little bit of overlap between the perspective that you've brought to the table, the idea there is a little bit of in common with the the other uh, the other explanation, uh, but they are two different. Two different I, I did leave out one important thing, and uh, I think it's only fair if we're going to lay all the facts out. Uh-huh, we got to uh-huh, lay this uh-huh. out. You know, in the one verse there, when he says, in the, was it verse seven, I believe, mm-hmm. when he says. Uh, Go out there and uh, get those, destroy those murderers Uh and set the city on fire. Well, that's what he says in Mm -hmm, 22.7. You know, I must say it doesn't strike me as Jesus. Well, this was the king, actually, not Yeah, that's right. In other words, God. Yeah, that's right, sure. So, So let's say it. But that doesn't strike me as God or... I know, I know. But, but I can I can fill in a gap that I really was waiting to mention. The truth is, when this all took place, according to both Roman and Jewish history, uh-huh. some of the Levite priests rebelled and killed Pilate's 
guys that they sent into the temple to ask them to come to the big banquet, uh-huh, uh-huh. the dinner. So some of them were definitely guilty of doing that. So when it says, go get those murders and burn the city, whatever. Well, that actually, even in Jewish history, it records that they, some of them did do that. So Jesus is telling the story, and he's working off, and he's telling of the story, he's developing it off of an event that all, everybody was familiar with. As I, His audience would be as, familiar as, with this, as right? As I understand it now, in comparison, and I think importantly so, in chapter 21 of Matthew, mm-hmm. you've got a different kind of king, Jesus coming, lowly, riding a donkey. He's bringing the kingdom of God. No doubt about the it. The other no. guy, I think, was bringing the kingdom of Rome. So uh, in chapter 21, I mean, look at he comes to serve people in chapter 21. The other guy slaughters all these bulls and all this stuff and puts on a big banquet. I mean, you almost can't get a greater black and white comparison. Yeah, so the contrast there is the two kingdoms. That's what kingdom I think. Kingdom of this world yes. and the kingdom of God. And I, I, in chapter 21, it seems more like what I would expect mm-hmm, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, it's... Um, yeah, definitely the two different ways of, of viewing it. There may be even a third. Some of our listeners may know there may a, be a third correct, way. There to, may be a correct one. So, yeah. yeah, that's what the thing is. Ser- sermons get written and, and presented. Uh, preachers and, and so on, teachers read these, and they try to give it their best interpretation, understand what was Jesus actually saying sure, here. Sure. And um, either, either one, I, the, I, I'm interested. I think I, I, think I like the... The perspective you bring to that, I, I don't well, find I, it. I could be. Wrong. I don't find it dishonoring in any way. It's just simply, uh, it is highlighting the idea that the contrast of the two kinds of kingdom, kingdoms of the world and, and the kingdom of God, and um, so yeah, you can you can give us if you'd like, give us a call. You can two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five, or but of course, ultimately, uh, each of us has to read the passage and make up our own mind about what is. What was Jesus actually trying to teach? What was he? What was the point he was actually trying to make with that parable? Now, this is during. Uh, let me see. This is after the. This is the last week of Jesus' life. By the way, it's after the the triumphal you. entry. Thank you. You're right. It's I, the, I, I meant to mention it. I totally forgot. You're right. Well, he, now why is that important? Well, here's why I think it's important. Okay. All right, because. Uh, I, I think there's a certain timing uh-huh. to Jesus' uh, ministry. He oh, had good, good, about good. three to three and a half, uh, three, three yeah. to three and a half uh-huh. years of public ministry. Yeah. In his early ministry, Jesus tells people he heals them. He does these miracles. He raises people from the dead, and quite often he tells them, "Don't tell anybody. No, keep this quiet. You know, or or don't tell anybody. Just go to the priest. Go to." As, uh, as the Levitical law taught them to go, if you experienced a healing, uh, they took it to the priest uh, uh, to give thanks, to praise God, and for the priest to confirm and validate the, the healing, So, uh, as we saw in the book of uh, Leviticus. So, again, Jesus is doing it the right way. He's doing what is proper. But also, he's functioning and working a little bit under the radar. In other words, he's saying, don't go telling everybody this, just keep it quiet, you know, and so on. Because in this early ministry, Jesus is devoting himself and dedicating himself to building his disciples. He is he really needs time with them, uh, because uh, eventually, of course, he'll they'll be going they'll be the ones carrying the message forward. 
So he's spending, he's spending uh, dedicating a great little time to working with his disciples, to building them, to giving them a right understanding, to kind of because everybody was more or less getting it wrong. Uh, even even Peter, even the rest of them, they got it. You know, Jesus. And Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." You know, who 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 do men say that I am? You know, this prophet or that prophet? Who do you say that I am? Uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God, the Messiah. And, and he says, "Flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but God has revealed this to you." And then Peter turns right around, just in the next kind of a paragraph of the Bible, and he says, "Oh no, you can't go be killed. You can't be." Uh, present, you know, you can't be arrested and crucified, and so on. we can't let that happen. And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Mm-hmm. So, so, in other words, Peter, he captured actually. A that's your degree. question number twenty. Yeah, he crapped, He captures a certain degree of the understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the, and so on. But essentially, the it looks like a general misunderstanding is that they, the Jewish understanding was that. This was to be a liberator, a one who would, re, you know, release them from from Rome's rule, and that would uh, that would physically uh, establish the king of Israel, and so uh, they had that misunderstanding. And Jesus tells him, well, you know, I don't you, know you that it was wrong. a misunderstanding, because uh, may I say, sure you may. Uh, I think that in the book of Revelation, in the Christian understanding, the second coming, he does exactly what exactly they Exactly that. Yeah, exactly so right. So I think what they're expecting was what the Christians say he'll do on his second coming. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and so uh, this idea that he's going to go and be crucified and killed, uh, he's going to be vulnerable and go back into Jerusalem. So, uh, so the first part of his ministry, he, he kind of keeps it quiet. He, he doesn't want to... You know, scream it from the housetops and so on, mm-hmm. and he want, because he's it, it's the timing of his right. ministry. Yes. and then you see that third journey he makes down from the north. His kingdom, his a lot of his ministry and preaching is headquartered in the north, uh, in the northern part of Israel. But when he makes that final journey down uh, mm-hmm. to Jerusalem, he be, he begins to tell them, "I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be." Uh, put on trial. Yes, I'm going yes. to be killed, uh, but I'll rise the third day, and so yeah. on. You're very good, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got my own little. Uh, 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 what I got? I got uh, the rim shot. Right. I don't know hey, if I have applause. My, yeah. So, but, but the point is, yeah. it, what I'm trying to say is that early in his ministry, he's a little bit more uh, under the radar. He's not wanting to raise a big stir. But now, as he comes down for this third visit, he becomes to be he. Be, he speaks to them very clearly to his disciples and starts telling them very clearly what's going to happen to him. He's going to go down. He's going to be arrested. And and perhaps that explains why when he goes to the temple, he turns those tables. Exactly. He's because he's he's saying, look, you guys are not priests and you've turned my father's house into a house of merchandise. He's provoking the response. Well, that's right. He's being these guys that are, these guys that are running the temple are not Levites. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about these priests, Mm -hmm. they don't realize they're not talking about the real ones. They're talking about the replacements. Exactly right. So, that's the idea that now as he's going back, he you find Jesus being very provocative in this in this yeah. last week of his life. Yes. That's when you have John chapter eight where he so really why confronts. Why would he be coming a few days before Passover? Why? Because in Exodus chapter twelve it tells us why. Mm-hmm. Because you take the lamb before you 
killing. Mm -hmm. And so there all those dates fit. Actually, that reveals the actual answer to when Jesus' real birthday was. And uh, now, I don't think that it's important that uh, if, if the day of Mar- December 25th is there or not. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's essential. It happened. That's the essential part yeah. of the story. But, you know, there's something I really, really want to get to. Not so much the timing, but the celebration of the event itself. The event that's is what's idea. important. Okay. Yeah. But I want to tell you, in Matthew 24, uh-huh. verse 37, 38, okay. I read all these, especially in the Christian world, because they, they seem to be, some people seem to be very enthralled with the end times and interpreting Daniel and all the rest right. of it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what I find fascinating is that Jesus himself says when it's going to happen. Look at that, 24. Would you mind reading? In yeah, your, he's talking about uh, what, 30, no, 37 that, let, let me jump back real quick. Does it start right. with... Uh, no, no, don't. don't. T- uh, oh, yeah, it starts in chapter, verse 3. Later on the Mount of Olives, his disciples come to him privately and say... Tell us when all this will happen. What will what sign, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And that's what opens up this entire section where Jesus talks about uh, what it will be like when He returns. Sure, uh, you know, this second coming, as right. it's called. And now then, you wanted to look at verse yeah, thirty. Well, uh, yeah, read th- uh, twenty-four, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Thirty. Okay, here we are. So He says. <coughs> First, he says, however, no one knows the day nor the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels and, or the Son and the, himself, only the Father. Uh, interestingly there, that's an interesting that Jesus says, I, even the Son doesn't know when yeah, that will be. Let's the not Father. get tagged. I'm telling I know, you, he's I know, saying. I'm, yeah. gonna get, I'm just kind of getting us into it. And then he says, when the Son of Man does return, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Okay. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, well, the other left, and well, so okay, on. Okay, that's the last verse you read. What, what, what's that about, two men in the field? Uh, it's about two men will be working together in the field. I don't know what it's about. I just because kind of read the words here. You, that what he's telling you is, in the verse after that says, there's two men working in the field. One is taken, one is left. Yeah, well, there's two people sleeping, and there's two people in the field. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You don't work in the middle of the night. Right. What he's saying is the world is round. Sometimes it's sun on, day, on part of the earth. Sometimes it's night. So the world is round. He's actually communicating that the world is round. Oh, good. You know, so, the Flat Earth Society would not like that uh, particular verse, correct. I guess. Well, anyway, but let's go to this, this the other topic you were going to take about. I, I think I knew what you were going to hit. Uh-huh. When we see that about Noah's day, when we read it, uh, just a straight old English version, and we think, oh, what what is Jesus well, saying? Well, you don't have to go outside the English. English is fine. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And what we generally take that to mean it's going to be just like normal day. You know, it's going to, sun's going to come up in the morning. People are going to go to work. Things are going to be going on just like normal. I see. So uh, People just, were enjoying banquets right. and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah ah. entered his boat. And, but it's going to be a surprise, in other words, uh-huh. is the idea that we take from it. Uh-huh. Now, I know uh, I've heard a little bit of the perspective that you're going to bring to us now, yeah. and I find it very intriguing. I think. Well, it's, let I, me ask you, if, mm-hmm. if Jesus himself, if uh, and let's say uh, we're a hundred percent Christian, and uh, 
and I believe I want to believe everything he says. Mm-hmm. He has, aside from Daniel and all the rest of the business, he's saying, "Look, and like just like the times of Noah." So what is going on in Noah's time? What does that mean? Actually? So you see when it says We think about, it means oh things are you know, just things are be going is on. That as what normal. thing was going on normal in the time of Noah? Is that the issue? Mm, actually it was not. It was not. Incredible rebellion does, against God. Do you happen to have a Bible with you this evening? I do. It's right well, here in my What hand. does don't lose your spot there because we gotta go back. But look uh-huh. at Genesis. Genesis six two. What does that say? I think I know, but I'm going to read it. I know you know. I'm going to read it. I know you know. In fact, uh, I think while you're looking, we probably ought to just applause you. Do that, would you? you I'm getting used to that. That's pretty nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, much, as the uh, king used to say. Okay. Chapter 6, it says that... um, Okay. uh, In other words, the world gone wrong. The world is... Well, what does it say? It says that, uh, okay, uh, I'm trying to find the one where it says that they, they become. They took wives of whoever they chose. Yes, okay, but 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 there was incredible evil. I mean, No, but besides that, I want to yeah. compare it to a verse that okay. Jesus said. yeah. He's it, saying they were given in marriage. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Well, he's what he's saying is he's quoting that back there, that they were taking their wives wherever they chose. Wherever they do you, chose. Do you see what he's saying? Yes. Well, so what he's he's referring to given in marriage. He's saying they're taking wives uh-huh. of whoever they chose. Yeah. He's quoting that verse, and what he's really saying is this. Now I'm going to tell you something. When it says of whoever they chose, people don't make that broad enough. That that was actually allowing homosexual marriage. Uh-huh. It was allowing taking children, kidnapping other men's wives, marrying a tree if you liked, or an animal. Uh-huh. It was allowing everything. In fact, in the Hebrew, and I think I sent you a picture of that in the past. Uh-huh. Uh, the actual Hebrew, how it was broke down. Uh-huh. And it refers to all the perversions you can imagine. Therefore, what he's saying, just like in the days of Noah, uh-huh. people will be given in marriage. They'll be taking wives of whoever they chose, of anybody and everything. Everything will be permissible. And when that happens, that'll happen just before the coming of the Son of Man. Is this so, the idea of a level of wickedness and rebellion and perversion? Well, all of that. Sure. That's what characterized the time of Noah, it did. of course. God, what did God until do? Until there was only one family left that loved God, God took and his, voted to God. And God took his spirit. So what them. you're saying is that this is saying, Jesus well, is look, saying that before he comes. Taking a wife is marrying her. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what he's Yeah, exactly. But uh, that's what I'm saying. You're saying what Jesus is saying yeah. is that. It's going to be, it, it's not yeah. like it's going to be normal and good yeah. and everything sunshine and good, and then yeah. I'm going to surprise everybody. We're not He's just going on it's going with to normal be a, life. A level of corruption yeah. and perversion and confusion and chaos and, and uh, turning against God uh, at a level that, that is like, that is what he's saying is like the times yes. of Noah. So if, if that some, makes sense to me. Well, it should because I think he's quoting it. So, because he's saying he given in marriage and all stuff. Well, the marriage he's referring to, mm-hmm. marriage can be holy or unholy. Mm-hmm. Be, anyway, but so we know that pretty well these days. So right? What I'm yeah. saying is, he's given you a parameter. So, if I were a devout believer, if I were a Christian and a devout believer of Jesus, uh-huh. I would want to know what he's telling me about the time of Noah. Uh-huh. I would go back and I would study it. Who are these Nephilim? What does that mean, Nephilim? Do mm-hmm. you know? Where the word Nephilim actually appears for the first time. Uh, I thought it was in that verse in Genesis chapter no, 6. No, it actually occurs before that. 
Okay. If it's plural, it's got it's got an M on it, Nephilim. Uh-huh. But if it's singular, it would be Nephel. Okay, tell me. Cain. Okay, really? Yeah. Cain caught a fell. He is Nephel. And then the other is the fell, Nephilim, because it's plural. Uh-huh. So that's where it first occurs. So then God says, you know what? I'm not going to let animals, people that live like animals, that choose to be an animal, to have no righteousness about them. Uh-huh. I'm not going to let my spirit be in an animal. So he actually says in back in Noah's time, taking my spirit out of them. Uh-huh. Now, Jesus is giving us, uh, to me, this is so, may I say, earthly important. Uh-huh that I would go back and say, my gosh, exactly what was going on with Noah? Because he's, he's answering the question, when are you going yes. to come again? And uh, so I think, I think, boy, I would really, I'd go back and say, So like what in you're the saying is Noah. that there's going to be a level of corruption and rebellion and perversion in the world increasingly that will, that will characterize right. the, the times when Jesus returns. Right. That's what he, that he's saying here. A lot of people believe that anyway, even apart from this passage, or maybe as Yeah, but you know what, I'm fascinated, now maybe I'm wrong, but I don't find, and I listen to a lot of uh-huh. Christian preaching, sure. and uh-huh. a lot of, read that stuff, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I see all the stuff about Daniel and times and Isaiah and all, Zechariah and Ezekiel, I see all that. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's so simple. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he tells you what to look for, then that's what I'd go read. We're going to come back to this theme because I hope that 2019 is the year that we see the return of the Savior. It's <laughs> just my little quirky has music little soapy playing It has, yeah. And it's time for us to oh, take our... Oh, I hear our, music now. Yeah, I say our break. I like harp seconds. But we're going to come back and talk a little bit about this idea, the second coming of Jesus, when it might be. We, we covered it here in, in, the, in these chapters of Matthew. Jesus seems to be giving us a hint about when it's going to happen. So we'll come back and talk about it and finish up our, our program. You can be a part as well, 340-9585. Don't go away. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Hey, Sophie. I need a Savior. We are back. This is our final segment. If you want to be a part of the program, you're going to have to get in uh, quickly. Come on and join us, 210-340-9585. We're going to talk about, let's address, let's follow up on that same thing. Sophie, you're going to talk about this and explain it all, right? Okay. Okay. um, Okay, okay. We're going to talk about this second coming. The disciples asked Jesus there. We're in chapter, what what chapter are we looking at? Uh, 22, 24, 24, in that area. 24. He's talking about, uh, they ask him specifically, when are you going to come again? This second coming, obviously they finally are getting the idea that he's not going to uh, liberate them from Rome and all this visit. He, this is an atoning. He's coming now as a suffering servant, uh, and and so on. That seems to be, as we look at the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that seems to be what Isaiah with it. You know the 
we look at Isaiah chapter 6 and 7, Isaiah 53, and we get that idea that he came first as a suffering servant, as a redeemer, as a savior, to make atonement for man's sins, and then and open up the time of the kingdom where people uh, now come into that relationship with God through the, the finished work of the Messiah in terms of his atoning work. But then uh, the idea here is that he came once as a Savior, as a suffering servant. Now he will come again and fulfill the expectations of the Jews even of that era that he would be a conquering hero, a, a victorious hero, that he would deliver them uh, from um, ultimately from, from sin itself and the power of sin in our world. So he's, they ask him, okay, when is that going to be? When are you going to do that? And he says it's going to be like in the times of Noah in verse 37 in chapter 24. And we generally think that to mean eh, things are going to be fine. He says in those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time, giving in marriage in, to anybody they wanted to and so on. And so we generally, the language as we read it, seems to say, well, things are going to be normal. People are just going to be living their lives and doing their banquets. And part- and, and the idea is that Jesus' return, the emphasis there is that it will be a total surprise. Um, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So the emphasis is on the surprise aspect. They're so caught up in the normal life and so on that they, they uh, get caught by surprise when Jesus returns. Now then, the other uh, expectation, if you look back at the actual life of Noah and the times of Noah, it isn't things going just hunky-dory and everything going nice and people having nice weddings and, and doing you know pleasant, wonderful things. It was a time of tremendous uh, perversion and corruption and uh, particularly sexual perversion. People gave, took anyone they wanted for marriage, uh, you know, talking about homosexual marriage and this sort of thing. Uh, and so they stole other men's wives. They yeah. took children. Everything became permissible. And if you look real closely, it says God would through his spirit uh-huh. because he wasn't going to let the spirit dwell uh-huh. on an animal. Until the world had become uh, almost entirely fact, wicked and perverse. If you go back and, and you trace the lineage between mm-hmm. chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, which has been done, which I did, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find that there are the, there's there is no human children born. They're only whoever is born, and they're also doing abortions, mm-hmm. getting rid of their babies because that interferes with sex, their pleasure, and, and their comfort. Zone. So, yeah. so what happens is, the only ones that he left his spirit with was Noah and his family, and they got on the boat, uh-huh. and of course the world was covered in water. Thus, you have the beginning and the understanding of what you call baptism, or in Hebrew, mikvah. It's a mikvah, uh-huh. because John the Baptist was actually John the mikvah man. But he was at, so you got the world, sit, water drowned the sin, it uh-huh. cleansed the world. Uh-huh. So, and the one that come up out of the water, of course, was Noah and his family. So, there, actually, if you go back and you actually calculate the ages and the years, you'll find that there were no other human babies born. Everybody that drowned was an adult. 
and it's actually there. But you got to spend a little effort to do the mathematics. Well, that takes care of uh, the idea that some people. That's uh, well, right. how would God kill little sure. babies? That's and you're saying and, that. That's, and now, now let's say that what Jesus is saying is 100 percent right about the days of Noah. Suppose He's giving you the idea that it's going to be a cycle kind of thing. So what's happening is you got all this other type of, shall we say, perverted marriages. Let's say that you've got. 60 million children being wasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's suppose that all that was going. Let's suppose that people no longer even take care of the children. They no longer love their children. They never provide a home. They don't want children. And they, if I may, interrupt their may I make a personal commentary? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know the movement called the Me Too movement that's very mm-hmm, popular mm-hmm. with women? You know, I, in, a, in a very serious way, I really res- respect that. Do you know why? I think what their women are complaining about is the men are no longer righteous. They're no longer following biblical laws. They don't know how to treat their wives and their women and their families. They're, the men are becoming just sexual animals, and they're abusing the women. And I think it's all about being abused. And part of and it is a reaction to that. Sure yeah. it uh-huh. is. And what actually should, have, should happen is I think what's really going on is that if the implementation of the laws of God were back in place— we wouldn't be having a necessity for a Me Too movement because men would be acting like they should act. Yeah, that's they would my be personal keeping their vow. They'd be uh, being faithful in their marriages. They would exactly. be supporting their wives and their yeah. children. And yeah, oh, exactly. Uh, I I tend to, th- frankly, of the two choices we have, the interpretation of that passage. I I think the one that looks realistically at the times of Noah is is the one that Jesus is alluding to. It's not like things are just going to be ignoring normal and it's a surprise. Yes, it's a surprise. That's part of the message that Jesus is giving here. They don't know when it's going to happen and it's going to surprise them. That's true. But the, in terms of it would be like the times of Noah, I, it just seems clear to me that Jesus will be talking. I mean, there was an unparalleled time of perversion and corruption and rebellion against God to the point that there was only one family in all the earth that still followed after God, that still worshipped the true and living God. And, and uh, that would be a terrible time. And, 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 of course, you see the idea there in Genesis as well, uh, particularly sexual perversion with uh, uh, not wanting children and uh, you know the killing of children. I mean, th- it was just a terribly beyond our imagination wickedness. But it's saying, Jesus is saying... That same condition will be when he returns. Now, I said, I wonder if Jesus might come in 2019. Uh, are are we living in an unparalleled time of perversion and wickedness uh, in our era, in our time? Are, are babies being slaughtered for convenience, for comfort? Are, are, is marriage being defiled it being from what God planned it to be? Uh, and that now perversion in any kind of perversion entering in uh, people with animals, people, men with men, women with women, and that's and, and celebrated. I mean, from a biblical point of view, this is terribly, terribly wicked, uh, and and it goes right to the heart uh, of rebellion against God because marriage is seen as a. It's given clearly in Scripture that deeper significance is it's a, it's a picture of our relationship with Creator Himself, with God Himself. It's used as an imagery of of, of salvation that uh, the, the bride 
the, the church, the people of God, the bride of Christ. The, the, we just read a parable that Jesus talks about, the, the bride, the king inviting people to a, the wedding party. And there are other parables and messages. A lot of it are using that imagery of wedding. And, and that's why so many people were so upset, I think, as believers, not only the idea of traditional understanding of marriage for thousands of years being turned over just like that, but um, uh, but also the idea that it, it insults that beautiful meaning, significance that uh, that we have with the idea of marriage, that it's a picture of that that relationship we have with God. So I don't know. I think could could it be 2019? Could it be this would be the year? I I, I would love for it. I want to see it so badly. I, I I'm so curious. What is it going to be like? This time, and now we do know, uh, according to Matthew here, it's not going to be some sort of a secret thing. You know that he says if somebody tells you, "Oh, the Messiah returned and he's out there in the desert now," or something like that, sort of a secret comeback uh, return, that it's not going to be that. It's going to be a very public return. The, the The clouds will open, the trumpet will sound, the rede- the Savior will return, the dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are alive uh, will, and belong to the people of God will be. Uh, lifted up to, to meet him in the air and so on. We have these images and of what's going to happen. It's not going to be a little private affair. Uh, this time Jesus is coming to uh, to clean house and to put his uh, uh, to um, bring the earth into that uh, the earth that God created us, the the people that He created us to be. Uh, I, I don't want to go into too much detail. I had a fellow, curiously enough, uh, uh, I had uh, in our classes today. I had a particular class I was teaching that is a little little shorter than some of our other classes. We usually use the entire hour on it. And I told uh, I told the three classes, look, I'm going to keep about I'm going to come up I'm going to have about 10, maybe 10 to 12 minutes at the end of this class. And uh, and uh that we'll finish a little early and I want to give you a chance to ask questions. Uh you know, and a lot of our classes there at Lackland with these we had over 2,300 in our classes today. And one of the classes. That was a big classroom. And nobody came into the Air Force this past week. Oh. This was a non-accession week. Oh. So it was even low from that, but then we still had over 2,300 come to our classes. It's not one class, of course. It's many. But I had a group of about 100 in front of me, and I told them, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you ask questions. And, you know, because this. So yeah, there was they, one guy that did something you were going to tell us about? What? Well, all three classes, uh-huh. the the question they asked about was Jesus' return. It was so interesting. They, uh-huh. They're curious about this. When, when would Jesus, what would be like, and so on. And, of course, I talked to them a little bit. My hope and prayer is that it will be really soon, and maybe even 2019 we would see that return. But uh, th- this passage comes to bear on that. It, it if that is true, it, like the times of Noah, and see, we're not just talking about America. We're talking about the whole world. And uh, America, too, is slipping into perversion and corruption and self selfishness and, and uh, of all kinds. But it, we're, we're not alone. I mean, just think uh, even the number of, uh, of abortions that we perform and the killing of innocent children— in our, it doesn't measure up to what's happening in China or Russia or other lands. So around the world, this, th- there is a war that has been declared on 
You know, the that's unborn. one thing that gets me is that uh, right now, today, I, I, I just learned this this week, um, that there are more slaves today in the world than there were in all the times of slavery. Mm. And, you know, and uh, we, we're awfully concerned about with uh, insults and abuse and political correctness, and I'm not saying that's not important, mm-hmm. but I am saying that it's a shame it's a tremendous shame that uh, women have to form a group like Me Too. But I also know it's because the Bible, and the, let's say the rules of God, the laws of God, have totally been ignored. It's been done away with. Yeah. So that there is no teaching. Now, I will tell you this. Babylon, when it first destroyed the first temple, it had some laws, and you could not have the Torah. Initially, the Romans allowed the Jews to keep the Torah, but eventually, as it got more restrictive because the Jews were rebelling, Mm -hmm. they implemented three death penalties. That was, one, to have a Jewish calendar, two, to circumcise your children, and three, to have the Torah. So you couldn't have it. So they had to have a way to still... So they were doing away, trying to, the Romans, as the Babylonians did, try to do away with God's laws. In other words... People would no longer know how to treat people decently and like human beings ought to be treated. And uh, uh, and so that uh, that's horrible. That's why, like in Luke, when it says Jesus opens up the place and he found the place where it says. Because the same thing no. more or less happened with yeah. the Romans. Uh-huh. They still, the Romans, too, outlawed the reading yes. of the Torah. Eventually, they reading did, yes. of the Torah And it was so. a death penalty, mm-hmm. yes. And the reason death penalty, because you can't have the Torah, because that was from a different God other than Caesar, of course. And then, of course, they can't circumcise. That's a covenant to God. You can't have a Jewish calendar. Because, because you're he, not a free people. <laughs> well, that's right. And you can't have a calendar because yep. then you know when to keep the days that God has designated to be kept. Mm-hmm. So what's absolutely essential is, is that these laws and the people were following them and doing what basically God said, what would happen is... We wouldn't ever have the necessity of people having slaves, because God forbid slavery. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have a necessity of women having to form a group called Me Too. You wouldn't have any of this stuff. And the truth is, it's the absence of the Bible. It's the absence of teaching families mm-hmm. and men and women how to be godly people, if yeah. you will, that allows all this. And thus you have the days of Noah. And it's funny, it, not funny, it's yeah. interesting to me that you have a, a good lot sense of, of humor I got. Yeah. That a lot of this revolves around, interestingly enough, that women are a, a very interesting group to keep an eye on in this sense. Because even in the times of Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> when Babylon was <coughs> attacking, uh, was going, was threatening Israel. Remember, Jeremiah was back telling the people of Israel, t- calling on them to repent. But there was tremendous rebellion of, among the people of Israel at the oh, time. Yeah. And, and particularly, if you do away with God and God's laws, you can make any law you want. Exactly, and particularly women. Remember, in the time of Jeremiah, he had, he had a very, very public encounter and very public uh, uh, conflict with some of the leading women of of Israel. And uh, you remember that, right? Jeremiah, uh, he t- and they tell him, "Look, we're going to worship anybody. We're going to." Worship the the star of the heavens or whatever it was uh, the, the name queen queen of heaven. No, I don't remember. <laughs> and and they said we're going to do that. And you think our men didn't know about it? You know, yeah, they 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 agreed with it. So it, it, it was interesting that 
women and some people have thought that women are are really more sensitive and more uh more spiritual in general tender gentle uh you know the idea of supportive and and uh, nurturing and that sort of thing but then when women go bad oh i got to tell you something they want to be just I'm as gonna, evil I'm going to I'm going to defend I'm going to defend a woman on this okay. you know why because men are much more beast like uh-huh. I don't care what anybody says. Everybody's got their own opinion. That's mine. But I uh, think sometimes women. Wait, it, wait. I think you're, in America, you're, you're, they you're seem to walking right into my point. Okay. <laughs> and my point is, is that when men finally get their way and convince women to become just sexual objects, uh-huh. and women go along with it, men have defeated what women naturally are. They're loving. They're nurturers. They are part of that, but when what men really want to do is turn them into something else, uh-huh. and they finally are happening even today, and back then too, I uh-huh. guess, turn, getting their way and getting them to follow a man's point of view on sex and uh-huh. everything else. Uh-huh. And home so and family and children. So the and women give up. Yeah, bless their hearts. Well, that. There's uh, there's hope though. I guess what I'm saying is, I think it's more the men's fault than the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think, and I will tell you, and, the Jew, and I know this is not a Christian thought, and that's okay, mm-hmm. but this is a Jewish thought. Uh, there are 613 laws in the, the uh-huh. Torah, and the majority of them apply to men. From that, mm, the scholars and the sages throughout the ages have uh, often said that well, women must be an R. Closer to God than mm-hmm, men, mm-hmm. because they don't need as many rules. Men mm-hmm. tend to be just really kind of animalistic. It was the women that make the home. They make men be civilized. But for women, mm-hmm. men will be roving beasts, if you will. And mm-hmm. I get I get to say that because I am one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not a roving beast, but a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm saying is that it was them that made civilization but if men can convince women not to do it, then mm-hmm. the men win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a combination of, of that happening, uh, women becoming as corrupt, as perverse as as men in that sense. But also, uh, maybe this Me Too, maybe some of the, maybe this is some of this could be viewed as positive that women are saying no, you know, to that sort of thing. To that sort of uh, brutishness, I've been paying attention so to it, and I and I and I, I came to the realization personally, mm-hmm. my thoughts, that I said what they're saying is I would like people, men to be decent and follow the, the laws basically of God, but nobody dares say that. Yeah, I I, I wish they would out and out and say that, and, and uh, but I do know there's some great and godly. I, I know my my own wife is one of those uh, godly woman that loves the Lord. Our daughter, uh, and they are in touch with women across our city, uh, across San Antonio, that are loving and godly and praying. Women of prayer, uh, they're wise, uh, they are courageous, and they they pray for our nation. They pray for families across the land, across the city, and so on. Uh, so the battle rages. I mean, really, God's people are. I think right now we are living in a time when they, we don't know which way the balance is going to go. There's, there's a culture war, no doubt about it, in, in America. We're, we're split, we're divided, uh, and some of that has to do with people who, uh, who respect tradition, the roots of our nation, the godly 
biblical roots of our, and spiritual roots of our nation yeah. and our culture. You know, there's one thing I wanted to add when it says, like, in the way they translate it, which is correct, uh, in Genesis 6, 2, when it says, they took wives of whoever they chose. Mm-hmm. I'd just, like, encourage people to understand that's much more expansive. That's not just like I like this this brunette or this blonde. Uh-huh. This is much more expansive. I mean, and I, I sent you that picture of how the Hebrews broken down by the sages. And that, uh-huh, what I sent uh-huh, you is uh-huh. a picture of a thousand years ago, actually. So, uh, and it shows how what the words really mean. And it really means whoever they chose. It meant homosexual marriages, women, children, other men's wives. I uh-huh, mean, it was uh-huh. no rules. Uh-huh. <coughs> well, me. well, in the book of Genesis, the entire book from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the fall of man into sin and so on, you start tracing from the time of, of Cain, and then Seth is born to replace the, the Abel who was killed by his brother Cain, and and those those uh, those genealogies between chapter two and three and and on down to chapter six, they they are all about how the earth, the the world population as it ex- grows and as it expands. It's also dividing into those two camps, those who love God and worship God and, and, and the, those who do not, the godly lineage of Seth. And, and of course, it's a, it's a, they're, they're walking in lockstep to wickedness and perversion and judgment uh, with the flood. And then God, put, after that, he puts in place, uh, well, that, after the flood and after the Tower of Babel, he puts language and culture people groups in place to to kind of slow down that 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 tendency to to lawlessness and sin and, and, and perversion and corruption, uh, that's the people groups. There's competing uh, uh, interests of people groups that kind of serves as a mitigating or a check and a balance on the sin nature within the human nature. But it, it, uh, according here to what Jesus is saying, that that process is still there. And it makes sense to me that ultimately sin will win in this world system. Now, you and I disagree a little bit about this. But if, if God's people are doing, if we're doing our job, if we're living the way we should and so on, we will have a preservative effect. We're salt. We're light. We're, we preserve the culture and, we, and so on. But if, if we do not carry our, uh, our, do our duty and our responsibility, uh, praying and living as we ought, but also the fact is, is that, Ultimately, it just seems reasonable to me that wickedness will, in the end, uh, prevail because wickedness does not have to follow any laws. They can kill, they can murder, they can lie, they can steal. That, that's, that's part and parcel of what they, whereas God's people, we, we can't do those things. We can't use uh, illicit, sinful, corrupt means to accomplish our ends all we can share is that good news the gospel the the attractiveness of a, of a godly life treating people well and so so it seems to me in a logical sense that eventually uh evil will overwhelm but, and, and, and like i said maybe 2019 will be the year that and in the tips. meantime yeah <clears throat> you always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday. We'll see you next year, all right? Have a good evening.
The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz, Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 